Today, Ananga and I will be sharing a behind-the-scenes conversation about one of our favorite books on Ayurveda called Ayurveda and the Mind by Dr. David Frawley. The topic was so potent that we thought we'd share it with all of our listeners. If you'd like to become a patron, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash anxiety slayer. Hey, Ananga. Hey, Shen. We've been wanting to have this conversation for a while. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this and bringing this forward for our patrons. Yeah, me too. I think this is um, one of my tattiest books. <laughs> As I'm holding it before me now, all sellotaped up on the cover with uh, loads of tags and, and notes and index cards sticking out of it is really um, a well-thumbed book. And for me, has been incredibly helpful in personal healing and understanding my mind and, and overcoming anxiety. So I'm really glad we're sharing it today. And there are some key areas in the book that we'll cover from changing lifestyle to mental nourishment to uh, understanding that we are not our mind to the company we keep and so much more. Let's start with how we can change our lifestyle to better support us. Yeah, these sections are uh, pulled from some of my favorite quotes from the book. So the passage I have for this is that our very way of life breeds unhappiness. And David Frawley says we have an active and turbulent culture in which there is little peace or contentment. So this is a direct quote of his on what's bringing unhappiness and what's bringing disturbance to our mind. I've chosen to read this book really actively and look at different sections and how I can apply them in my life. You know, it's very easy to just nod and say, yeah, our way of life breeds unhappiness and yeah, our culture's turbulent and there's little peace or contentment. But then Ayurveda teaches, what are we going to do about it? That's the situation. What are we going to do? We always have the opportunity to change our lifestyle to support ourselves and we will all have different natures and different circumstances. So just to think on that and and think where we can begin. And I think one area where it begins really is making it a priority to have that, that we need a more peaceful life and less turbulence in our life. And we need to protect our minds and protect our hearts. So where do we begin? How can we change our lifestyle? And I think that starts with declaring it to be necessary and valid enough to do something about it. And that follows with boundaries, which is really an area that you excel in. (laughs) An area that I was not born excelling in. (laughs) That has definitely been something that I have practiced and practiced and practiced to be in a space where uh, somebody like you that I admire so much can see that. And so thank you for that. And then also knowing that practice of carving out more spaciousness, carving out more time for what does bring peace and contentment, and to be able to celebrate that no matter how small that is, no matter what it is that you choose to do. So instead of having your calendar chocked full of tasks and errands and work and to-dos, you have time built in 
to get your bare feet on the ground in your own garden or to take a walk or to get yourself to an observatory or to a a power place, a beautiful spot that I like to go to is Lake Michigan. You have some beautiful parks and streams and botanical gardens that you like to go to. Mm -hmm. All these, these are invitations and moments, these moments that make up a lifetime that curb that turbulence, curb all of that garbage that's floating around in the world that we do not have to invite in all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking with a friend this week about how we tend to seek happiness when what we really need is meaning. And Viktor Frankl wrote a lot about that, Man's Search for Meaning, and further texts on that subject. And um, we were just talking together about how sometimes you'll see that somebody wins a lottery or or comes into a, a vast amount of money, more money than you'd almost know what to do with, and it doesn't bring happiness. And we were just talking over together how to find happiness in the in the smaller moments. And when you were talking about carving out time and being in nature, I was thinking how at this time of year I always pot up some herbs. And my practice at the moment is to get ahead of the day. And I'll go outside every morning and open my back door. I've got a little garden here where I live, which I'm so grateful for. And as, as I know you do, I'll go and greet the plants, go and sniff the mint, sniff the lemon balm, see if there's any marigolds left that the slugs haven't eaten, <laughs> uh, see how the mint's doing. I've got some beautiful ginger mint and apple mint and classic old garden mint, and they're really coming on now as the weather's warming up. And I just like to go around and smell the herbs and listen to the birds. And another thing I've always done is we can't do a lot about that what Ayurveda calls the rajasic energy of the day, which is that passionate get-going energy that starts to happen around about seven in the morning. Everyone gets up and and gets going. And for my mental health, I have to be up before that. Mm -hmm. I get up really early just to sit in the quiet and the stillness. And I might not hear anything but me or an owl. And that's really good for my mind. And that gets me buffered. I have more resilience when the day gets going uh, than if I have to meet it up and running. I, I actually can't do it. I can't meet it up and running and, and do well. Yeah. I think about all the years I did meet it. Mm-hmm. And all the years that I would hit the snooze button over and over and over and then have to like bust a move to get out the door and to get to wherever I was going on time. And, and, and what a uh, crappy way to live. I <laughs> look at it now and just be like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't give myself any time. And to be fair, at the time, I didn't even know I needed it. I just, that was just the way things were. Rush, 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 rush. Yeah, yeah. I, I had years like that. I used to be a London commuter in my, in my younger years, you know, running for the train. Yeah. And then by the time you get, yeah, and by the time you get to where you're you're going, you have no idea what you've just done to your nervous system. Right. And again, that kind of segues beautifully into the next area of the importance of mental nourishment and how changing our lifestyle supports that and how much more presence, peace, and joy you can 
have when you realize how to care for your precious mind mm. and what it needs, right? Yeah, yeah. This is an amazing quote um, from David Frawley. He says, the mind is a subtle organ whose health depends upon its ability to extract nourishment from the environment. He's actually saying that the health of our mind is dependent on having nourishment from the environment, same as our body needs good nutrition. Our mind needs it too. And what our mind tends to get fed is problems and stress and coping and shoulds and musts. Right, right. But we, we need to be actively nourishing our mind. And then we need to think about, well, what does that look like to me? We all have free will in choosing what good nutrition for the body feels like and the choices we make there. And we need to do that for our mind too. So my personal example would be I suffer if I don't read deeper texts, spiritual texts, listen to lectures that give my mind a sense of shelter, peace, hope, some depth, something beyond the uh, hurry and worry life. And studying really nourishes my mind, always has done. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't consider myself a scholar by any means, but I love to read with a, a pencil in my hand and take notes and study Ayurveda. Now I'm also studying Vedic astrology, which sits very well with it. And it has a really stabilizing and a nourishing effect on my mind. And then we have things to think about that aren't just problems and worries. We have things to chew over. Literally, we're digesting. Sure, sure. Yeah. For me, in this case, I also have been a student of astrology now for many years, I think probably 10 years now. It's something that I will study forever and still know nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I find it fascinating and I like that it's a never ending study. I also love being a medicine woman and growing the plants and foraging native plants and creating tinctures from them and knowing their purpose and in supporting my health or my family's health or friends, that to me is really important and, and feels very ancient, very much like something coming forward from my lineage from a long, long time ago. And there's so much nourishment in that for my mind and, and being able to identify the plants and know what to do with them and know what, what a gift it is to all of a sudden realize that there is a plant growing in my yard natively, naturally, wildly that just appeared one day and it happens to be exactly what I need. Mm. Whether it be St. John's wort for uh, depression or being in a low mood or the abundance of motherwort that all of a sudden showed up one day, you know, thanks to the birds bringing the bringing the plants and, and just being able to sit with all of that. And, and then of course, just digging in and learning like you, I am a, a student of life. I'm a truth seeker and the work I've been doing with access consciousness, the work that you and I do together, uh, the beauty of Ayurveda also being this gorgeous, never ending well of support. Yeah. And of course this book in being such a big part of that. After the break, we'll dig into more goodness from Ayurveda and the mind. 
The Anxiety Slayer podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Life can be overwhelming sometimes, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Many years ago, at the end of my corporate career, I remember having many days where I struggled to get out of bed. And even though we often associate burnout with work, that's not the only cause. If you're not feeling like yourself and this is resonating with you a bit too much, please consider seeking out support from a therapist at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Anxiety Slayer listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash slayer. That's betterhelp.com slash slayer. The next area that you highlighted was air in the mind. Yeah, so the quote for this section is that Vata, as we often talk about on the podcast, one of the mind-body types of Ayurveda, Vata's excess of air causes instability and agitation in the mind, which results in excessive thinking or worrying and makes our problems appear worse than they really are. I feel that passages like this really give us something to think about. When I think it's one of the greatest sufferings in the mind when it's pushed to worry. We have excessive thinking. It's probably our most asked question, actually. Mm-hmm. How can we stop rumination? How can we stop persistent worrying thoughts? So here, Ayurveda is teaching us that there's an elemental cause. Air in the mind is causing instability in the mind. It's agitating it and churning it up and pushing the mind. Just like if your laundry's on the line and, and it might be a still sunny day, if the wind kicks up, the laundry starts blowing around. It's the same in our mind. When that element of air moves into the mind, it blows our thoughts around. And then he says it makes our problems appear worse than they really are. So again, what now? What do we do with that information? And there are measures we can take in our life to calm and balance that excess of air in the mind. We need to stop the winds blowing through our minds and blowing our thoughts around. And there are very simple things we can do daily, small steps every day we can do to bring that energy down. And then in turn, our worries will come down and our thoughts will settle down. Understanding right now, I am taking a a tea light candle and making it into a bonfire. Yeah. And I do not need to do that. And, And here's what I know to do to calm that, whether it be a number of the things that we do, grounding, having a nice cup of chamomile tea, talking to a friend, uh, being, making yourself cozy and comfy and, and talking to yourself, really communicating with yourself that it's okay, we've got this, that we've been here before and we know what to do. What do I know to do now that can help this settle? Yeah, definitely. And I think warmth, oil massage, warm baths. Sometimes when we feel agitated in our mind, it can be challenging. I've had times when it's been challenging to be in a bath with myself. Mm -hmm. I remember a friend saying to me when I was going through a rough time a while ago, why don't you take a warm bath? I was like, because I'm going to be in it with me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Then I have to face myself. (laughs) So what do we do? Then we change it up. Take, um, 
take some music in there, take an audio book in there, take, or take a, a regular book in there. And that would be my choice would be to make the bath nice and warm, lots of Epsom salts or magnesium salts, lavender, take some gentle music and take a book and just hold your mind in an interested, gentle place to adjust however we need to, to do what we need to, to ground. Um, oil massage, really, really important. It's the opposite of the energy of of vata is the opposite of the energy of air. Even if you can only massage your feet for a few minutes or soak your feet, if you if you can't handle a bath, get a tub of water and put some lavender and salts in there and soak your feet. Get the head energy down, get the wind and the air from your head. Mm-hmm. Walking, um, beauty, poetry, nourish your mind with, with things to think about. Warm, nourishing, grounding meals. All these lifestyle changes and these supportive additions will affect our mind they will speak to our mind and just help calm it and bring it down and slow that energy down one of the things that uh, my mom does is she's prays her rosary when she's feeling out of sorts yeah so whether that's japa whether that's rosary whether that's and that repetition and that um, space of connection for her and to her higher place, um, to what, what soothes her is you know, that happened yesterday when my, my dad was having surgery and you know, out came the beads and I expected that they would. And, and it brings her so much peace and that she knows to do that is even if she doesn't really know that that's, taking care of the air in the mind, <laughs> she knows that that's bringing her peace mm-hmm. through that prayer and, and through that repetition. Yeah, that's all we need to know, isn't it? If you note something brings you peace, then keep it in mind and do more of it. Exactly. I also, as you know, have my japa practice where I chant japa on wooden mala, wooden beads. And um, it was taught to me any, many years ago that in doing that, you're engaging your senses in that practice, which is always good for the mind to have it locked down. So you're touching the beads, there's touch, you're hearing your prayer or your mantra, you're hearing, the speech is engaged, and you should be sitting still, preferably cross-legged, because it's a nice grounding, triangular way to sit, earthy way to sit. Um, and you're just engaging yourself in that, in that gentle, repetitive practice, and it really does help. And through the, the work that I've been doing with Access Consciousness now for the last few years, there's a repetitive, I won't call it an affirmation because it really isn't, but I don't know what to label it. But I repeat, all of life comes to me with ease, joy, and glory. And I will wake up repeating that maybe five or ten times and usually will end my my gratitude, going over my gratitudes for the day, and then end with with that. And sometimes I'll say, "All of life comes to us with ease, joy, and glory," or to me with ease, joy, and glory. Mm. And just putting it in that space, it it takes up the space of worry. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's beautiful, and and it's not as deep as praying the rosary or japa, but it's still very helpful in training your mind. Yeah. 
I think often we feel that when we have anxiety and we have a head full of worrisome thoughts that we need to empty our head, but that's practically impossible. We need to fill it with good stuff and crowd the thoughts out. One example of that is dripping um, milk into a glass of ink and it's all dark and eventually the milk will lighten it up and eventually the milk will take over. So you're crowding the darkness out with light, with good stuff. Right. And, um, that's much easier to do and much more effective. And then we absolutely must cover how important it is to be mindful of the company we keep mm-hmm. because our company can be harmful or it can be healing. Yeah. So the passage here is Ayurvedic psychology emphasizes right association, right company to ensure psychological well being. We should always be careful to keep ourselves in the right company. We should associate with those individuals who elevate us, who bring us peace and keep our minds cool and calm. And we should keep ourselves distant from those who drag us down, who agitate and overheat our mind and nerves and must be careful. We must be careful about who we associate with on an intimate basis. So true. So again, boundaries. And permission that we're allowed to make those choices. Often when we're anxious, we don't have the mental space to realize what's impacting us. We might think it's just us. We have the right to put steps in place that protect us. Yes, we do. And that's why I think it's incredibly important as you mature in your friendships and your relationships with family that you know yourself well enough to know if you are available or not available for whatever is being brought forward. So if I have a friend who is in the midst of a whole bunch of drama and needs to be heard and my well is not full because of whatever reason, I might not be available for that right now. And it's okay for me to say so say, I'm sorry that you're suffering and I absolutely want to support you. But right now I can't be available for that. What I can do is bring you a a pot of soup or um, be available at another time and not coming from a place of, of that doesn't have any compassion, but from a place of knowing that you're not available and that that will pass as well. But just because, again, somebody's house is on fire doesn't mean that you're the one going in as a first responder to put it out. You, you might not be available for that. And that's okay because sometimes we have people in our lives who really, really like to burn things down. <laughs> right? It's a pattern. It's a pattern. So here comes the drama. And occasionally my young daughter, who young woman daughter, uh, will get in a, a cycle of drama. And instead of letting that hook me, letting that become something that I loop and loop and, and take on as my own, I'll say, wow, that, that sounds really intense. What are you doing to care for yourself right now? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then leaving it there 
versus thinking I need to be the the first responder firefighter going in with all of the reasons and ideas and things that we can do in order for her not to suffer. (laughs) Not that we don't love, not that we don't care, but we have to be careful. And it reminds me of the uh, teaching of the oxygen mask on the plane where where it's said, you know, put your own mask on first Mm -hmm. before you help anyone else. So that that principle applies with our care. We're more able to help when we're better taken care of. And and also from this quote, to really actively seek who elevates our consciousness, who picks us up, who brings us peace, who who helps our mind. We all have people in our lives like that, that we can have a good talk or a laugh or go for a walk with. And also these days we have so many authors and podcasters and you know teachers available to us that we might not know personally, but we can still benefit from their energy and insights so to actively seek nourishment again in that way in good company and to let those who drag us down fall away and and to be okay with it Mm -hmm. which i realize for some is easier said than done but it can save your life it it can be the difference between being really joyful and light and and really heavy in a space where you're just in a habit or in a pattern or you think you should be doing something or their family or they're a partner or they're whatever, but they're, but they're sucking the life out of you and they don't even know it or see it or care as long as they get what they need from you, as long as they can take. And, and it's, it's a very real thing. And one of the things that this pandemic has done has really helped many of us get clear on what's important and who's important and and how we want to live our lives and and choose our days and and all of that at least that's what i've found and that's what i've been receiving back from other people as far as what 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 they've taken away from it yeah who who are we letting back in yeah exactly exactly well let's move into the uh, conversation about knowing that we are not our mind. Our mind is a tool. We are not our mind. Yeah. Um, And the quote for that is, when we speak of my mind, we're defining the mind as an object that belongs to us, not as ourselves. So in the same way that we might say my coat or my shoe. Uh, For me, this was huge. It was a real turning point in my mental health this teaching, but I'm not my mind, because it's so easy for us to identify into our anxiety and think, I'm crazy. All I am is anxiety. What's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong with us. Our mind is challenged. Our mind may be unwell. It may be overburdened, um, overwhelmed. It may be so many things. It's certainly often troublesome, (laughs) but it's not us. And that non-identifying with the mind is actually a practice in and of itself in overcoming anxiety, to not identify with the propaganda and the thoughts and all the things the mind throws at us and to understand that it's not us and it can be our enemy and it can also be our friend and it's something that we need to manage. It's something we need to, to work with. Yes. Once we realize that we are in the driver's seat there, <laughs> I have some pretty funny conversations with, with my mind. Yeah, me too. 
with the uh, what I call the board of directors in my head or with the the collective consci- consciousness that will sometimes come through and the the things that will poke me and yeah and provoke me and that kind of thing and to come back to this place of okay well thank you for looking out for me but i've got this and i know what i need to do and almost treating that part of your mind as as another being that you are again setting boundaries with yeah yeah the mind needs boundaries so much so the other day i had a really particularly happy morning and i started to feel anxious because i've in recent years come from a place where i could be having a happy day and all hell has broken loose so my mind became hypervigilant is it safe to be happy so i was like no we're not doing this I, everything's fine yeah uh, you know i'm just having a really nice morning having some tea in the garden smelling the herbs i've got good things to read i'm going to see a friend everything's good but it was really persisting so in the end i did some tapping it's like okay even though there's been happy days before that have ended up with some trauma and some shock. This is just a regular happy day. But I was glad I knew why my mind was doing it. Yeah, because, because it's a form of self-sabotage. If you didn't know, you might have been pulled right under. Yeah, and it's horrible when we don't know. Yeah, it's like, oh, how interesting that I'm going to be in this space of pure joy. And in just in my happy place, and then boom, here comes this thought to 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 screw with me and steal the show and and to see where my resolve is, and what am I going to do about it? Yeah, and we can go in so many d- different directions with that. One is we can just stay in and don't feel safe to go out. Mm-hmm. There's so many different directions. So yeah, I knew that my mind was being hypervigilant, and we had a chat. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I went out and had a really, really good afternoon and, and remained happy for the rest of the day, which was something I was very grateful for. So it's just good to get to know your mind, get to know the, the patterns of the mind, the tricks of the mind, where it needs support, but to not identify with it, to know we're not our mind and to also know that the propaganda of the mind is just that. If it's throwing up worrisome stuff and stories. That's how I know I need extra self-care. My mind will go to stories. It will be in the shower or when I'm making breakfast and it will start going over stuff. And I just have to stop and say, look, we're not doing this right now. This, this is really not helping. And just no. And then I need something else. Let's think about this instead. I need something else, some nourishment to come in, something else for my mind to chew on because the mind is going to be like a dog with a squeaky toy. Hmm. Or like, or like the beautiful Himalayan cat that I've lived with for so many years who walks around in circles meowing and will not stop until she's ready to stop. (laughs) And, and, and God bless her, but it'll, it'll drive you mad. The dog with a squeaky toy the cat with the incessant speaking, it, it's, it, and then where, where do you find peace and, and how do you care for yourself in that space? And that, and that also leads to being compassionate, to have a compassionate view of the mind as well. Yeah. The, oppor- yeah, the opportunity to know and heal our mind, to be in that place of, okay, I know I'm not my mind. I want to be compassionate here. Now what? Yeah. And that's our 
final quote for this session, Ayurveda looks upon someone suffering from a psychological problem, not as a bad or disturbed person, but as someone who doesn't understand how to use the mind properly. And to that I would add, yet. Right. Because we can all learn about our mind and learn how to use our mind better, how to support our mind. And for me, that's been the difference between night and day in my mental health. So I love that compassionate outlook that Ayurveda never writes anyone off or thinks that somebody's, you know, bad or, or disturbed, but they just need support. They need help in learning how to run their mind better, how to calm their mind and how to get the best from it. I'm really glad that we came together to have this talk and to dig into Ayurveda and the mind, the healing of consciousness by Dr. David Frawley. If you don't have the book yet, you can find it online at Amazon or wherever books are sold. And that's Dr. David Frawley. The uh, title is Ayurveda and the Mind. Dig in. It's, uh, it's not light reading, so take your time, but it is incredible. There's so much knowledge in this book. If you'd like to become a patron, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash anxiety slayer.